You're listening to Sermons at FCC Moorhead, a podcast of sermons preached at First Christian Church in Moorhead, Kentucky. A congregation in the Christian Church Disciples of Christ tradition, we are a faith community seeking to live out Christ's call of hospitality and shalom. I'm Reverend Nancy Galler, minister at FCC, and each week we'll post the latest sermon preached from our pulpit. Most weeks you'll hear my voice, but from time to time you'll find guest preachers on this podcast too. Thanks for listening. Space. The final frontier. You know what comes next, don't you? These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise, its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no one has gone before. Such iconic words. I confess, I'm a child of space race. I was raised on science fiction from Star Trek to Doctor Who to 2001, A Space Odyssey and Star Wars 2. There's just something so compelling and enticing about space exploration. The great great unknown just out there waiting to be explored, to be conquered, measured, studied, understood. And study it we have, haven't we? The observable universe which extends tens of billions of light years in all directions from us started 14.6 billion years ago. The most conservative estimate is that there are 176 billion galaxies with a B as once the Hubble Space Telescope did, and now the James Webb Telescope continues to expand our gaze, that number could reach as high as two trillion galaxies. Let that sink in for a moment, if you can. I'm not really sure it does. The enormity of the universe is staggering. And we may find ourselves along with the psalmist wondering, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars that you have established, what are human beings that you are mindful of them? Cosmos Sunday refocuses our lens allowing us to pull back beyond the local, the national, or even global places on this little speck of dust we call Earth and into a universal framework. The recent images sent back from the Webb Telescope have been awe-inspiring, haven't they? They've opened up a window for us into formation of stars and the lives of black holes. They've uncovered galaxy formations unlike any that we have seen before. The writer Terriard Deschardins was a Jesuit. He was a paleontologist and a philosopher, interesting combination, who brought a universal scope to his work. And reflecting on the power of religion, he once wrote, quote, because it is not sufficiently moved by a truly human compassion, 
because it is not exalted by a sufficiently passionate admiration of the universe, our religion is becoming enfeebled. In other words, our religion is too small, too insular, with too much focus on arbitrary do's and don'ts, with ongoing attempts to control human bodies and human sexuality, and there's far too much escapism in our, much of our religion, too. Too much focus on the ideas of the afterlife to the neglecting of this life. We've lacked a deeper reflection of our place in the universe and of the universe itself. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I am much more comfortable with the stories of Jesus than what we read in Colossians today. The earthy Jesus, that's the one I want more of, of teacher, the healer, the prophet, because I think I personally connect with those stories. Those narratives ground me as I connect history and myth, storytelling and faith together. But if that's our only lens, then our faith is still too small. The particular, the historical, that matters, but there is always more. Jewish and Christian scriptures both point to an expanded experience of the sacred from those first mythic stories in Genesis where we celebrate an image of God at work, crafting the universe and all life. And then we have our reading this morning from Psalm 148, which sounds to me like a cosmic roll call of praise as the poet kind of makes, goes down his list, sweeping through all of creation, beginning by pointing out to the sun and the moon and the stars to praise God, and then moving to stranger images, images from an ancient Mediterranean cosmology referring to the heavens and the waters above the heavens. For the Hebrew poet was immersed in this understanding of the world that had a dome over the earth, holding back waters in which windows would open up for the rains, and otherwise the waters were held back by God. The poet moves his gaze from the heavens and then calls on earth to praise God too and the roll call continues from sea monsters and oceans to mountains and hills and fruit trees and cedars wild beasts and crawling things and finally after that long line of praise from creation we humans get called on too Young men and young women, elders and children, no part of creation is excluded from this chorus of praise. It is this expansive view of the reach of God's creative endeavors which we find in that lyric prologue to the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. The mystic and writer Hildegard of Bingham plays on this cosmic understanding when she wrote, The word of God is everywhere and in everything. 
for without the word of God, no creature has being. God's word is in all creation, visible and invisible. This is a cosmic spirituality in which the word of God pulses in all living things, in everything that has been, in all of the space between things, too. What we can see and what we cannot begin to glimpse. This is big picture theology. And it's a theology that's revealed from our passage in Colossians it's believed to be a hymn that I read, a song of cosmic praise that's quoted by the author of Colossians in the letter. And in the Greek, the song has an auditory rhythm that we might not catch in English. In the quoted hymn, the Greek word pan is repeated eight times. Pan, which means all or everything. Christ is the firstborn of all creation. All things have been created. All things hold together. Before all things, all the fullness of God. There's a repetition in these lyrics that points to the expansiveness of God. The ancient hymn begins in verses 15 through 17 by affirming Christ as God's image, revealing what is unseen of God. And in these verses, Christ is affirmed to be the firstborn of all creation. Now, that can mean the first, but it also has the connotation of being set apart, of being set apart for a particular purpose. We can see that understanding of the phrase in Psalm 89, in which David is appointed firstborn even though we know he's the youngest of his family. So it doesn't have to mean first chronologically. When the song confesses Christ is the firstborn of all creation, it is connecting Christ to creation and declaring that Christ is preeminent in it with an integral role to play. And then in the second section of the hymn, the focus moves to the church's relationship to this cosmic Christ, to the firstborn of creation. We, you and I, as the church, the body of Christ, our existence, our way of being in the world should reflect Christ as the head of the body, as our lead, as our example, our reason for being church. And that purpose, according to the letter writer to the Colossians, is the reconciliation of all things. In the song, Christ leads the way as the firstborn of the dead, which just like before refers not to chronological time, but holds within it that understanding of set-apartness, which means the song proclaims that there is nothing which is outside the scope of Christ. That Christ has a role to play with being, and with nothingness, with life and death, in light and darkness. Christ is not constrained by any of these limitations, not even life or death, for the cosmic Christ is connected to all things. The hymn also imagines Christ as the dwelling place of wisdom, 
And here the song is appropriating Hebrew language about wisdom and Torah that is rooted in ancient Judaism. And then taking those images and applying them to the early church's understanding of who Christ is. I think we can detect some echoes from our reading from Proverbs 8 this morning as holy wisdom speaks there saying, the Lord created me at the onset of God's way, the very first of God's works of old. In remote eons I was shaped at the start of the first things of earth. This hymn, this ancient Christian hymn, is making big claims about the cosmic Christ embodying wisdom, divine wisdom, and reconciling all things, the world, the cosmos, to God. Now, lest we think this ancient Christian hymn is focused only on lofty thoughts of creation, I want to be clear. There is an earthy grounding in it, too. There is a bold anti-imperial claim which we may miss in our 21st century context. The very first line quoted from the hymn, Christ is the image of the invisible God. That is both a theological and a political claim. The songwriter is affirming that it is Christ and not Caesar who is the image of God. That Christ is the ruler, Christ is the head of the body, Christ is the one who makes peace in the world. Make no mistake about it, the song declares, Rome is not the center of the universe. And the Pax Romana is not the peace of God. And political power, no matter its military dominance, does not reign supreme in a cosmic worldview. For the writer of the letter, it is Christ who makes universal claims on creation and on us. Not our political structures, not our military might, not any pronouncements about our dominion over space, but it is Christ. And here we see the cosmic dimensions of God's interactions bending down to earth, to touch earth incarnate in Christ. I wonder if you can see the delight in this hymn as well. The joy that emanates in this incarnation project of God that is being revealed in Christ. The ancient hymn declares, For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Was pleased to dwell. That's an amazing affirmation of embodiness. Think about it. God does not despise our creatureliness, our humanness, our physicality, our bodies. God delights in God's creation, all of it, in its rich variety. And God is pleased to dwell in our earthiness. And God also delights in reconciling all things through Christ, the hymn sees the cosmic Christ as wisdom incarnate, as that creative presence at work in the universe, fulfilling the purposes of God, set aside for that purpose. But there is one key difference between holy wisdom and Proverbs 
and the cosmic Christ in Colossians. Christ experiences the fullness of life, which includes death. Christ bears the cross for the world. And even here, the letter writer sees the cross, that very historical Roman method of imperial execution, through a panoramic cosmic lens. This is not the individualistic way in which Protestants have appropriated the cross as only atonement for the sins of individuals. That view will always be too small. But this early Christian hymn sees Christ's experience on the cross having the purpose of peacemaking or reconciliation for all the brokenness in the cosmos, what one theologian calls a solidarity atonement. I love how Matthew Fox puts it when he writes, quote, the cosmic Christ is the light in all things and also the wounds in all things. For in this broad view of the cross event, the crucifixion places the fullness of God, the fullness of who God is, in the middle of the suffering of creation. Which means when scientists tell us that in the last 50 years, the United States and Canada have lost one in four birds, a 29% decline in population, that's 3 billion birds. From meadowlarks to swallows and sparrows with grassland birds experiencing the largest hit with a 53% reduction in their population. When we hear that, the fullness of God in Christ, the cosmic Christ, the crucified one, is there too. There in the woundedness of creation, a woundedness perpetuated and continued by the actions and the inactions of human beings. The headlines are staggering. They're mind-numbing. 40% of insect species are declining. A third are endangered. Our over-reliance on heavy pesticide use and our industrial agriculture systems are one major contributor affecting insects and the birds that feed on them. An annual survey of U.S. beekeepers finds that between April 2020 and April 2021, they reported a loss of 45.5% of the managed honeybee colonies in the United States. And before the 2000s, beekeepers held that about 15% would be an acceptable amount of loss but now beekeepers have had to change their perceptions of the risk involved, which is now up to 23%. The woundedness of the cosmic Christ is there. Our yellow ribbons on our prayer wall outside are a sign of our prayers for pollinators, reflecting the fragility of their existence in our world. Changing climate, overuse of pesticides, a reluctance to design green chemistry alternatives. The causes are multiple and they are interconnected, which means the problems can seem insurmountable to us. And we become paralyzed 
by the enormity of our current situation, or as Cory Booker put it a few years ago, we allow our inability to do everything to undermine our determination to do something when the issues are big. We can't do it all on our own, that is true. But as people of faith, followers of the cosmic Christ, the crucified one, we must be offering an alternative way of being in the world. One which focuses on the reconciliation of creation and does not participate in its destruction, its crucifixion. As Richard Rohr puts it, we can't think our ways into new ways of living. We have to live our way into new ways of thinking. So how do we do that? First, I think we live in an awareness of the wonders of the cosmos, that we learn to cultivate our experiences of awe, of wonder and delight, because those are a gift from God. And then secondly, we let that wonder that we're intentionally cultivating ground us in this little bit of cosmos that is our home, this little corner of the world. For if, as the ancient song declares, the cosmic Christ is in all creation, visible and invisible, then Christ reveals God in matter, in earth stuff, and in star stuff. This movement from the cosmic to the local can transform the way in which we see our neighborhoods. The woundedness of our world now reflects for us the woundedness of Christ. From the plight of the monarch butterfly to the poisoned rivers winding their ways through these hills that surround us, the woundedness of Christ is revealed and the potential for healing is too. And where there is healing, where there is new life, that reveals to us the reconciling presence of Christ. Third, I think, as we practice living with cosmic wonder and with groundedness where we are, we develop our capacity for compassion. We come to know cosmic wonder and earth-rootedness as embodiment in Christ, and that acknowledgement moves us to be in solidarity where we see suffering, as Christ did, and to stand tall against injustice. We find courage to resist fear, to speak out, to mobilize our actions with others, and to change our ways of living in our worlds. And fourthly, Living in both cosmic wonder and groundedness compels us to build community. We see the cosmic Christ revealed in all things, and we come to see the sacred connections in all things, and we become people who delight in the reconciliation of the brokenness of our world. We no longer view ourselves as living above our landscape, but we find ourselves in solidarity with the land on which we live and with all the living creatures who share that landscape with us. The great mystic Meister Eckhart once declared, God is delighted to watch your soul enlarge. 
God is delighted to watch your soul enlarge. On this Cosmos Sunday, may we not be afraid to think big. But may we with boldness respond to the generosity of our God who reveals the very fullness of God's own heart in Jesus and in the cosmic Christ who continues to be found in the cosmos beyond our imaginings. And then watch our souls enlarge. Thanks for listening. We hope you found inspiration today. To learn more about our congregation, you can like us on Facebook or follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Until next time, be well, be kind, and always be the church where you are.